You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lexin. Today I'll be reading the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23-33. I invite you to open your Bible and read along with me. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Lexan. All right, Lexan's in my home group, and I've just been so blessed over the last months to see Lexan's faith just come alive and blossom and see how God's working in, in her life. And so this whole thing about even church planting, it starts with individuals and people's lives being changed and, and people growing in Christ. So that's what we get to be a part of. How's your Sabbath today? How's your Sabbath? You feel, you feel like you're resting today? Uh, you know, I've been on this kick a little bit, but uh, I was talking to somebody last week, right before, or uh, right after service, and we were going to exchange some sort of calendar information like that, and he goes, oh, no, my phone's in the car. I was like, yes, you left your phone in the car so you could just rest and be present and be here. Um, would love for this day to be a day of rest for you, a day of joy, a day of focus on the Lord. You need that. Because you've been working hard all week, you need to be renewed in the Lord and then sent out um, to serve him the rest of this coming week. So, um, God, would you meet us in this place? As we open up your words in scripture, Lexan read this passage that's just uh, maybe a little bit complicated for us to understand. Would you help us to untangle it? Would you meet us in your word today? Would you pour out your spirit upon us, the spirit that brings rest and renewal and refreshment um, would you allow us to be present this day with you and with each other to walk in Sabbath and to enter the week tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, with a sense of renewal and refreshment because we've been with you and we've been with each other and we have let go of the controls of everything and we've just trusted everything in our life to you uh, for at least 24 hours and just let it go. Uh, so Lord, would you help us? Um, to rest in you, to learn from you, to know you more, to be renewed in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Amen. So um, how we behave impacts the people around us. Um, uh, when I was about to turn 40, I hatched this plan that I would ride my bike from my house in Albany to my parents' house in San Diego. Uh, in order to kind of facilitate the process, I decided I would get a new bike, a better bike. So I went out and I found a really good bike. It was the most extravagant purchase that I had ever made probably in my life. You know, I felt a little bit guilty about it. In fact, for a number of years afterwards, I would calculate how much I was paying per mile for that bike. And I just want to say that these many, many years later, now that I have over 25,000 miles on the bike, I'm almost at a penny a mile. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, but shortly after I bought this bike, my dad goes and buys his dream car. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And, and, and come to find out, he said, you know, when you bought that bike, I felt like you were giving me permission to buy my dream car. <laughs> I wanted to point out that the car was 10 times as much as my bike, but I decided not to, uh, you know, honor your father and all that. So, um, so I didn't say anything. Um, but the, the point of it was this, is that how we behave impacts the people around us, sometimes in ways we don't even realize, right? The decisions we make and the choices we make can have an impact on the people around us. And that's what this text, which seems sort of complicated in some ways, is really getting at. In fact, this whole section, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, uh, is, is, is fairly... Um, uh, fascinating to me, but also fairly uh, complicated. And um, you've got these disparate groups of people who are trying to figure out the God thing, right? Just like life right now, we've got disparate groups of people, even in our church context, who are trying to figure out how to walk with God, how to, to live with God, how to live with each other. And we're bringing, each of us is bringing to that endeavor a different experience, a different cultural background, a different set of values. And somehow we got to thread the needle and figure out what does it mean to actually pursue the Lord together. And, and at times there are these complicated questions that arise and we begin to answer them in different ways. And then that creates a potential for conflict and misunderstanding. And Paul's really wading into a moment like that. And he, part of the, the underlying assumption is that how we behave impacts others. I call, I'm calling this this morning the principle of the power of peers, P-E-R-S, peers. Those are people who are working with you, doing life with you. The principle of the power of peers. Paul's going to talk about how to, how to wield that power in a loving way. How do we wield that power in a loving way? The principle of the power of peers can be used for bad, right? But it also can be used for tremendous good. And that's what Paul wants to help us see and understand and embrace together as a community. All things are lawful, quote, he says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, he's quoting the Corinthian, some of the Corinthian church when he says that, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So God, would you help us as we go through this text, Holy Spirit, because of the shed blood of Jesus, would you come upon us and help us to understand how we can love you well and love each other well? And would you use this passage that we're looking at today to inform us and help us to understand, we pray, and inspire us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm talking about the situation. I'm talking about the solution in the time that we have. The situation uh, first. Relationships are complicated. That's what we get from this text and from really the whole chapters 8, 9, 10. If you've been going through chapters 8, 9, and 10 and you feel like it's a little bit uh, overwhelming at times, you know, uh, let's, try to, let's try to sort this out. I want you to put on your sociologist hat this morning and try to think through with me the different groups that were there present in the church in Corinth and the, around the church as well and how their different backgrounds, values, and experiences made the situation they were facing a little bit complicated. So um, you've got Greek non-believers. I'm going to actually put up just the list of the different groups that were present in and around the church, sometimes visiting, probably being a part of that community. And the Greeks, we have to understand, this is, this is hard for us to understand at times, were habituated towards idol worship. There were idols and temples all around the city, and they would worship in these temples. They would worship these idols. Um, at, you know, they would go from one to another. Or sometimes they would be, they would be uh, dedicated to one particular temple. Uh, and and, and they, would, they would try to persuade the gods to make their life better. That's what it meant to go to the temple, the pagan temple, and to worship. They were trying to persuade God, the gods, to make their life better. And you can understand how this could get really embedded in the culture. We, we see this kind of thing happening in our society as, as well. But you can imagine how you know, it could become addictive. You go to an idol, and then afterwards, things go really well in your life. And you start to think that actually it was because I went and worshipped at that temple that things are going really well in my life. So I'm going to go back to that temple over and over again because it seemed like something happened there good. And then that becomes part of your life process. It becomes part of the fabric of how you think and how you're navigating the world. And not only that, but people all around you are doing it as well. And so that's encouraging you also to worship idols. In fact, there was a whole social dynamic related to the worship of idols where, you know, if you, if you were associated with a particular temple and all the people that went to that temple, you could actually advance yourself socially. You could get a job or you could get in with a certain group of people so you could move up in the world. And so it was, it was not only a situation where you were hoping that your life would go well and so you were going to the idols to worship the idols to make that possible, but it was also providing you with social cohesion and potential for advancement. And so you could see how the worship of idols was deeply embedded in the community around this church, which is fat forming in the city of Corinth. Now, at the same time, you have another group. You have the Jewish non-believers. What I mean by that is they don't believe in Jesus Christ yet as the Lord and Savior. Uh, and so the Jewish non-believers obviously would have been strongly against the idol worship because the first and second commandments tell them not to do it. So if you're trying to reach a Jewish person with the message of the gospel, but you yourself are going to worship idols because that's what you've always done, you haven't distinguished between worshiping Jesus and worshiping the idols, then you're going to have a negative impact on your ability to share the gospel with that person. Because they're going to look at you and say, well, you're doing something that you ought not to be doing. So that's one of the forces that's at work. Then you have the Greek believers. So these are Greek uh, people. Uh, so, you know, basically, uh, Greek is a way of describing anybody who's not Jewish. So it's, it's sort of a, an ethnic distinction. Between Greeks and Jews, you've got basically the whole world covered uh, at that time. 
Now, the Greek believers were people who'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they were people who'd likely come out of that culture that was habituated towards idol worship. And so they had come out of that, and now they were trying to worship Jesus, but there was probably many of them who were tempted to go back and put their trust in, uh, in idols, because that's what they had done all their life. And sometimes it seemed like it actually worked. And so they, they were, so, 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 so they would have been tempted, even though they tra- they're trying to get away from it. This is what Pastor Paul was talking about last week. No temptation has overcome you, right? So, so, so they're being invited to, to let that go. Then you have the Jewish believers who would have avoided the idol worship and probably easier for them due to their past. And then you have this fifth group that Paul talks about all through chapters 8, 9, mostly 8 and 10, but all in this section called the quote-unquote the knowledgeable ones. Now, what, who are these people? He uses this word um, to refer to them uh, all throughout, the people, the, the, the knowledgeable ones. And these could be Jews or Greeks. They were believers in Jesus Christ, presumably, who rightly understood that idols don't actually exist. And so there's, there's freedom because there's only one God. They've come to that faith in there being only one God. They believe that idols don't actually exist uh, and there's freedom in Christ. And co- consequently, they felt like they could just do whatever they want. They could go hang out in a temple and worship there because they, they knew that actually nothing was going on there. They thought that actually nothing was going on there of any consequence or significance. So they would associate with the temple they would eat food that's sacrificed to idols. It was outside of the temple. Uh, the, what they've forgotten, however, and this is what Paul is, is pressing them to remember, is this important principle of the power of peers. The principle of the power of peers. How we behave impacts the people around us. And so they're, they're going to the temple and not caring about uh, the impact that it had on their brothers and sisters was creating a problem in the early church. And all of this might seem very remote, I, I grant. This all might seem very remote to us because, you know, we don't experience this kind of culture all around us, right? Or do we, actually? Do we have idols with which we struggle on a regular basis? If you've been around this church, you know that this is one of the things we often talk about. We talk about idols, and we often put up a list of the kinds of idols that we go to. An idol is anything that we put in the position of God. It's anything that we put in the place of God and we go to to have our ultimate needs met by this thing. So anything actually can become an idol. We have talked about this, uh, if you've been with us, uh, the different kinds of idols that we as modern people experience. Deep beneath our, our idol worship is, is longing. We're trying to fulfill a longing inside of us and then we'll often go to things that uh, we seek to fulfill that longing. So if you have a longing for approval, you know, you might be scrolling through social media because you're looking for the number of likes that will give you that deep sense of fulfill that longing that actually only God can fulfill. But you're looking to fulfill it through social media or academics, right, succeeding, or your job or your ministry. Um, There's the longing for comfort, which is part of what means to be human. But sometimes we make an idol out of, out of the pursuit of, of, of achieving comfort. And so we, go, we do that by shopping or having enough money or getting enough things. And we can go through the list. There's the longing of control. And we can pursue, we can make an idol out of order or cleanliness or body image or scheduling. 
Um, there's, the, there's the longing of power, which sometimes can lead to making an idol out of career or sex or, or roles uh, or intellect, um, belonging, the idol of drugs, gangs, uh, different hobby groups, political parties, social movements, intimacy. I just go through the list. Uh, escape. Sometimes we go to things like alcohol to escape the pain and the suffering of this present moment. And so what we're basically doing in that moment is we're taking alcohol and we're saying, okay, God, you're not enough to help me deal with this moment and the challenges of it. And so I'm going to go to something else to help me. And right now, we're at that moment, we're looking at that thing whether it be alcohol or, or uh, whatever it is, we're looking at that thing to replace uh, something that only God can, can do. Significance um, and, and then uh, also transcendence. Um, we can go to, to various kinds of spirituality to try to get a sense of the transcendent or uh, to the occult uh, or to drugs. Drugs have an element with them that is a pursuit of transcendence. Um, and so, so all of these, so, so we say, well, we don't, we, don't, we don't suffer with anything like the early church. Well, actually we do. We have idols, potential idols, all around us. And so this passage is actually speaking to us. Uh, not only is it speaking to them, but it's also speaking to us. Like the groups in Corinth, we all have a different relationship to these potential idols um, that, again, it, it relates to our experiences, to our culture, to our personal strengths and weaknesses, some of us may have a weakness towards a particular idol that somebody else does not have a weakness. So what do we do with that? How do we live in community in a way that's building each other up? Um, uh, many of these things can be good or bad depending on the place that they hold in our lives, right? So obviously on this list, there are many things that we interact with on a daily basis. So the question isn't whether or not we interact with them, but where do they, what, what place do they hold in our lives? Do they hold ultimate place? Are they... Are they taking the place that only God can hold in our lives, or is it, are they being used rightly within a larger framework where God is the ultimate and these are just um, submissive to, to God? And then some of them, uh, others are always bad, like, you know, for example, worship, occult worship. This is always going to pull you away. By bad, I mean it's going to take the place of God. Um, and, and so, you know, that's going to always pull you. And then sometimes, you know, two Christians might have a different view uh, on how to handle things that have the potential to become idols in our lives. So we see this all throughout Christianity with, in particular, how people relate to alcohol. Some people feel that it's absolutely fine, and other people will say, I don't want to go there because the potential that it has to become an idol in my life. And so we've got these two differing views, and we have to navigate that somehow. See, this is the complexity of living the Christian life in the real world and all of its com comp uh, complication and, 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 and diversity. And it won't do for us to be like the knowledgeable and just to say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, and I don't care how it impacts others. Paul, That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look... It's not, it's not going to do, it's not going to be good to live that way. We need to be more thoughtful about the principle of the power of peers and how our life and what we, how we behave impacts the lives of others. So what does it look like? How do, how, do we, how do we be sensitive about our behavior and how it impacts others? And Paul's really going to um, prescribe two approaches here. Um, so here we get to the solution um, the solution is, the heading for it is really to cherish your key relationships. And there's going to be two key relationships. Your relationship with Christ 
and then to cherish your relationship with your brothers and sisters. If you cherish those well, that will become true north for you. That will give you guidance on how to answer some of these complicated and difficult questions. So first of all, uh, your relationship with Christ. And the point here is to honor Christ. In some cases, the solution is black and white. So the example that is given in, in chapters 8, 9, and 10 here, eight mostly 8 and 10, um, is worshiping in one of the temples, uh, worshiping one of the various idols in one of the temples that was all around Corinth. Um, so this is what Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is referring to in chapter 10, verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Um, he's, he's saying that to go to the temple is to practice idolatry. in a very. He's saying it in a kind of a black and white way. He's saying, don't go to temples. Don't go worship in the temple. Uh, and he'll explain why in a moment. He also says in verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. And, and then in very clear terms, in, in verses t- 14 through 22, he starts to explain why it's important for them not to go to the temple. And actually, Pastor Paul was supposed to preach on this part of this te- text last week, but he, he uh, said to me last minute, you know, uh, oh, I don't have time to, can you just deal with that? And I said, sure, I'm at your service, whatever you need. So here we go. All right, so, um, we're, so, so why can't we go to the temple? Why can't we go to the temple? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says, not Pastor Paul, because he ditched this passage, but the Apostle Paul... <laughs> And he doesn't have the pulpit for two weeks, so he can't get back at me. Okay, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's, that's going to the temple. Flee from going to the temple. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And this is the point right here. If you get one thing out of this passage, I do not want you to be participants with demons. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Sounds like good advice. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So Paul, the apostle, is agreeing with the so-called knowledgeable in saying that idols don't really exist. He's agreeing with them. But that doesn't mean that there aren't spiritual things going on when you worship an idol. See, that's the important distinction. That's the part that they missed. The reason idols seem to have power is because the demons around them are hard at work trying to make it so. That's an important spiritual truth. Maybe not super popular in our world right now, but really important for how we live and move through the world. The reason idols seem to have power is because the demons around them are hard at work trying to make it so. And that's true for the idols with which we struggle as well. 
Because, why? Because the demons, Satan, hate God. They don't want any image bearer worshiping God. So if they can get an image bearer to worship something not God, then that's a win for them. And so as you dabble with things that have the potential to become an idol in your life, know that the enemy is going to want more than anything for you to get drawn in to worship of that thing, to replace God with something else because that's a win for the powers of darkness. And we could, we could just not talk about this, but that would be to send you out into the world unprepared. This is the reality of what is happening. The stakes are high. The world is spiritual. And we are navigating in the midst of it. So, um, idols don't exist, but in worshiping idols, it says you are tang- tangoing with demons. I mean that dancing, like tangoing with demons. In worshiping idols, you are tang, and you can't tango with Jesus and tango with demons at the same time. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't work. It's like he said about sexuality. You know, when you go to a prostitute, you know, you're becoming one, but you're already supposed to be one with Jesus. Right? So it's, you, you, it doesn't make sense in a logical, relational way to be partnering with both of these because they're contrary to, to each other. Right? And he uses the metaphor of the table, the communion table, to explain why this is so. This table is so beautiful and so powerful and so wonderful because we come to this table and we're cleansed from our sin. And so if we've been caught up in things that smack of idol worship, we can come to this table and we can be, we can be cleansed from, be reminded of the fact that we're cleansed from what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's good, and that's how we often talk about this table. But there's another aspect to this table that Paul is bringing up here. He's saying, not only does it signify your cleansing, but it stimulates your purity. When you come to this table and you appreciate what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you, what it cost him, how significant it is, then why would you want to walk away from this table and go partner yourself with a demon? Why would you want to do that? Because Christ has given his life so that you could be one with him. So this causes all kinds of reflections in our minds. of what, how, how are we partnering with what is not God? Right When you think about social media or just the regular media, I don't even know what the difference is between those. Books you read, sexually explicit material, you know, pornography where you know so much... I mean, talk about a, a playground for the work of demons, pornography, in the way that, you know, women are um, objectified, uh, oftentimes um, captive, right? I mean, what a playground for demons. And when you come close to that, right, you are partnering with demons, even though you've been partnered with Jesus Christ because of his grace and what he's done on the cross, Do you see? It doesn't, don't do it, he's saying. Don't partner with with both. Cherish your relationship with Christ. Um, Astrology, when we dabble with astrology, or I'm not an expert on yoga. I know this is an area of confusion. I think there's secular yoga and not secular yoga. I don't know. 
we have to figure it out. You have to figure it out in your own life. Am I partnering with, am I partnering with a demon or, or am I not, right? Because I'm called to maintain this partnership with Christ. Uh, ancestor worship is an element that comes up oftentimes. Occult practices, cherishing special stones. Sometimes it's very subtle. Like you go to the market and they're selling this really cool rock, which will do this for you. And you buy it and you actually start to think, oh, I'm going to hold this rock or I'm going to hang it around my neck because it's going to do something for me, right? That's idol worship. That's what that is. And, and God's calling us to distance from that because, because you don't want to be messing around with something that's going to pull you away from God. All right. Um, special stones, embracing new age spirituality. The list could go on and on and on. And just, uh, Holy Spirit, would you show us right now the things that potentially are obscuring this relationship with you that, that could become idols? Would you show each of us individually where we need to shed these to honor Christ? So show us, Lord, because I'm not smart enough to know it all but you can. Um, so, so this is what Paul is describing for the obvious cases of idolatry, okay, where it's black and white, where engaging in it is going to clearly have you in the place of worshiping something that's not God. But in some cases, the activity is not inherently, inherently idolatrous or wrong. And that's what the passage that Lexan read for us is about. And the principle here is going to be love of neighbor. So the example that Paul uses is meat that's been sacrificed to idols. So uh, from what we understand is that when you would go to the marketplace to buy meat just for your own purposes, there was a huge chance that the meat being, being sold to you had been sacrificed at one of the temples. It was, came from an animal that had been sacrificed at one of the temples. And you may or may not know that this meat has been sacrificed. Or you might go to a friend's house, friend invites you over for dinner, says, hey, come on, we're going to have this, put some meat in front of you, and you have no idea if that's meat that has been sacrificed to an idol or not, because there's a huge percentage of meat going out into the marketplace that came from the idol worship system, okay? And so what do you do with that, Paul's asking? How do you navigate that? Um, he's made it clear that no one should be going to the temple of idols, so don't go worship in the temple, you don't, go, don't be a part of that. Um, but what do you do if the meat you buy or encounter at a friend's house has been sacrificed to idols? Verse 25. This is, this is his recommendation. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? It's just meat. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, so your non-Christian friend invites you over and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. There's two things going on here. Um, it's okay. Paul affirms it's okay. You have freedom to eat with your Christian, non-Christian friend. Um, it, it can't harm you because though it's been sacrificed in the temple, um, you're not whittling, wittingly participating in idol worship at that point. But the moment a Christian or your non-believing friend says to you, that was sacrificed to an idol, he says, back off. Don't eat it. Not for your conscience, but for the sake of theirs. Because part of your witness to the world is being different. 
when you're with a, a non-Christian person, you're providing the opportunity for them to experience Christ in his goodness. And in order for them to see what that looks like, they need to see, they need to know that it, worshiping Christ is incompatible with worshiping other things. Otherwise, they won't get to see it. And they'll miss that beautiful blessing and that opportunity. You know, it's easy to be witnessing when we're like the world. But sometimes our witnessing calls us to be different from the world. And that's where it's tricky. But that's what Paul is saying. we got to be ready to be different from the world. So, so that's, the, that's what we do with a non-believer. What about with a, with a Christian brother or sister well, who might struggle with idol worship? Then pull back. Because your eating that meat might cause them to stumble. It, the, again, the best example is if with an alcoholic who's made alcohol a god in their life. Um, the best example is if you drink in front of them, you are going to lead them down the pathway of returning to that god. Even, and they're trying not to. Don't cause them to stumble. Don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. But it's not alcohol and idols. It's so many things. So many things that we can do that can cause our brother and sister to stumble. Paul says very strongly, he's got to be ready to give up anything. Be ready to give up anything. Back in 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Anybody ready to give up meat completely? Go vegan for the sake of your brother or sister? You ought to be ready to do that. I'm not saying you should, but I'm just saying we ought to be ready to give up anything for the sake of our brothers. And what is at the root of this? The, what's at the root of this is love. It's a call to sacrifice anything for the sake of your brother or sister. And when we are a community that is willing to love in that way, to sacrifice for the sake of each other's, oh man, sparks start to fly. Everybody's just saying, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna make sacrifices for you. If that's at the root of our community as a church, the world is gonna be banging down the doors to get in because they're gonna want to experience that kind of love because it's so rare in the world where people are ready to sacrifice anything for one another. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that covers everything, do all to the glory of God, which he has defined as in verse 23 as it being helpful and building up. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So non-believer here, there, or within the church, don't give offense to anybody. Be ready to sacrifice anything for the sake of their upbuilding. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If your brother or sister or non-believing neighbor has an idolatry problem with social media or alcohol or shopping or body image or grades or career, you know, is there some sacrifice you can make in order to remove the cause of stumbling for that person? If so, Paul is saying, do it. If there, in fact, if there's anything you can do for the sake of their growing and being helped and built up in Christ, then do it. Make, sacrifice your schedule, Right? 
Sacrifice, make the sacrifice so that um, you will be a blessing to them. Be willing to give up anything. Paul has said, this is what I try to do. That's, that's what chapter nine is. Paul's saying, look, this is how I do this in a different way, not related to idols. Um, he, he, he says, I got rights to do all kinds of things, but I lay it down because I wanna love people well. I give up my rights because I wanna love people well. And all of it goes back to Christ. Chapter 11, verse one, which is still part of this section. Paul says, be imitators of me. Why? As I am of Christ. This whole way of loving sacrificially goes back to Jesus Christ, who stepped out. Of, he, he sacrificed the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the goodness of heaven to step into a fallen, broken, dirty, difficult, complicated world. Why? To share his love with us. That's all. We're just following in the footsteps of Jesus. And you say, well, I don't have the strength to do that. (laughs) And Jesus says, I'm gonna give you that too. I will give you my love when, you, when your well is out. I will give you my love. So come to me, Jesus says. Lord, help us to come to you, to find you enough so that we don't have to go to any other idols. And then help us also to be filled with you so that we can love sacrificially as you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.